0: Two weeks ago, Hillary Clinton made a speech in Reno, Nevada. In it, she named a group that, until recently, has been mostly at the fringe of the 2016 presidential campaign.
1: This is not conservatism as we have known it. This is not republicanism as we have known it. These are racist ideas, race baiting ideas, anti Muslim, anti immigrant, anti women all key tenants making up the emerging racist ideology known as the alt-right.
0: The alt-right is a loosely organized group of white nationalists that is super active online. Their tactics are especially trolly. They share overtly racist memes on Reddit and 4chan, and they harass Jewish journalists on Twitter, doing things like Photoshopping them into gas chambers. So why did Hillary Clinton give that speech in Nevada, naming the alt-right? One reason is that the week before, Donald Trump hired Steve Bannon to be the CEO of his campaign. Bannon used to be the chairman of Breitbart News, a conservative site he called the platform for the alt-right. Trump said in an interview with Anderson Cooper that he's never heard of the group. Are you vote. embracing the alt-right movement, then, Nobody
1: it? even knows what it is, and she didn't know what it was. This is a term that was
0: just given, that, frankly, uh, there's no alt-right or alt-left. All I'm embracing is common sense. Well, Steve
2: Bannon did say Breitbart is sort of the voice of the alt-right movement. I
0: don't know what Steve said. All I can tell you, I can only speak for myself. You see the crowds we have. You By the see way, that was Pavarotti, Pavarotti playing in the background. He's on the pump-up mix Trump plays for the crowd before his major events. This is No One Knows Anything, the politics podcast from BuzzFeed News. I'm Meg Kramer. This episode, we're going to be talking about the alt-right movement, what it is, where it came from, and how its influence on politics and pop culture is shaping the 2016 election. Joining me is Rosie Gray, a politics reporter for BuzzFeed News who has been covering the alt-right for over a year. Hi, Rosie. Hi, Meg. Also joining us is Catherine Miller, politics editor at BuzzFeed News. Hi, and Charlie Warzel, a senior writer here at BuzzFeed who writes about tech and culture. Hey. So where does the term alt-right come from?
2: The term itself really sort of gained popular currency in around 2010 when Richard Spencer, who is sort of one of the leaders of the alt-right and who is in charge of a white nationalist think tank called the National Policy Institute, uh, founded an online publication called AlternativeRight.com. So that's really sort of when the term itself started to be really used. In terms of it being applied to this particular movement, the thing about when you're talking about the alt-right is that it's you can't really nail down when certain decisions were made to do certain things because it's a very diffuse, nebulous movement.
0: So maybe you can't define the alt-right movement as one thing, but what are a couple of things that you could say it is?
2: I think you could say that the alt-right is... It sort of revolves around certain unifying principles, mostly regarding race, protecting the white race. Um, I do think it's definitely fair to call it a white nationalist movement, and in that there are a whole host of other concerns about concerns about globalism, about multiculturalism. Some of them are worried about you know feminism and like politically correct sort of liberal culture. It's also
3: divorced from what you generally think of the conservative movement as mm-hmm. it's not kind of obsessed with the founding documents and you know the free like, markets free markets and these things and that's not what this it's is not about that it's no. not about that no
2: um, it's not it is not like part of the conservative movement at all
0: so so can you break down for me the groups that are part of the alt-right i would say that there's sort of if you had to
2: really generalize there's sort of like two main strains of the alt-right one is this sort of, you know, young, internet-savvy group of people, mostly white, mostly male, who are the people who are generally doing the Twitter trolling and the meme-making and and that those sorts of activities. And the other sort of strain of it is kind of the older guard of white nationalists who have grafted themselves onto this newer movement.
1: You know, I can speak to sort of the uh the internet's side of it, which, you know, kind of comes from Reddit, 4chan, 8chan, and is sort of moved on to uh Twitter. And and a lot of that is sort of this culture of people who've sort of, you know, grown up on the internet and sort of evolved in this sort of meme-based message board culture. And it, and it's sort of like latching on to a lot of the political ideals, sort of the, you know, the the white nationalists, the manosphere ideals of the political movement and doing it in this like really trolly hateful way
0: what is the manosphere
1: it's this sort of uh, again this is one of those like really nebulous terms that people are going to get a lot of shit for just trying to define but basically it's an idea that you know this group of you know white males is sort of losing their status in the world as culture becomes Yeah, more diverse. And as the internet becomes, you know, very identity based and is focusing on, uh, you know, widening their viewpoints, there's this group that feels like they're losing their, like, the testosterone levels of the internet are lowering, and that's a bad thing for, you know, for their representation.
0: So that's the internet side. What about the politics side? Not to necessarily like divide them up like that, but What about like the alt-right as a political movement?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, like we wouldn't we would not be talking about the alt-right if it weren't for Donald Trump. And that isn't to say that I don't want to ascribe beliefs to Donald Trump that he doesn't necessarily have. Mm -hmm. He certainly does not think of himself as alt-right and I'm pretty sure was barely aware of the term probably before Hillary Clinton, you know, made it made a whole speech that that mentioned them. But it's certainly true that the reason that we're talking about this fringe, mostly online-based movement is because, like, they have seen sort of a reflection of their values in Donald Trump. And, you know, some of it is them, I think, sort of overstating the case. And some of it is obviously, I mean, you know, they don't have anyone else who's in mainstream politics who they feel can really speak to their concerns of sort of, like, white racial resentment, and, and that, I think, is sort of like the link between them and the mainstream political conversation.
1: I think that, you know, that's sort of the part about the Internet that is important here is sort of he doesn't really have to say anything specifically. And the Internet in this sort of this like because it's a lot of the alt-right is based around, especially on, you know, 4chan and Reddit and 8 and bleeding on a Twitter It's based around memes. They can kind of create things around him like you know his image his likeness is used in a lot of this and as rosie said they see something in him and then the internet kind of almost like creates the narrative around him and he can you know choose to sort of let that happen or and then that seems like that's what he's done
0: yeah i was reading something about this idea that described donald trump not as a leader of the alt right movement but as a character in it
2: that's interesting because i do think that like there's a whole like iconography associated with him now that that is sort of their argo that they use you know amongst themselves almost like a language like a visual language that obviously there's the frog meme uh pepe how do you pronounce him actually
1: (laughs) i say pepe so since essentially pepe is kind of originated on 4chan and it is a mascot of the message board internet and it's kind of this like funny very lightly trolly in in group internet joke and it's sort of been adopted in these alt-right memes as a way of that group sort of taking ownership of that part of the political conversation. Like they've mapped Donald Trump's face on it. But it, it's sort of just a way for this all to, to be, you know, familiar to them. And
3: one of the funny things, actually, earlier this year, somebody was at a rally, a reporter who very innocently was like, oh, look the alt-right is here this person is has a like a poster with the frog on it and as a number of other reporters pointed out no 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 that's just like an internet meme that some people use that doesn't it's not like it started with the
0: alt-right is there anything funny about the alt-right
2: yeah, I mean, they can be very funny online sometimes. Uh, Intentionally so? or Yeah, ex- I mean, I, I
0: actually think
2: that they're very fluent with the language of the internet, which is often, you know, very ironic and amusing.
1: There's, like, there are great, like, absurdist things that happen on there. I mean, I, a while back when the trailer for the Angry Birds movie came out, they... Um, they like, latched onto it with a lot of these conspiracy theories that it was like this animal farm <laughs> style allegory for like Islamophobia and like, you know, like, like the like the pigs in the movie, the villains had like beards. So they were like, oh, you know, it's definitely like like there's like this Muslim element. And like and while well, there is again, everything has this like, you know, awful undertone to it, but yeah. just like the absurdity and just how. Like excited people get about this with these conspiracy theories, latching on to a lot of like ridiculous things. If anyone knows what these pigs are up to, it's Mighty Eagle. It's Mighty
2: Eagle's lake of wisdom.
1: I mean, there's no way that's not. Well, yeah, I mean, like there,
2: there is. There's sometimes they succeed at being intentionally funny. A lot of time they're unintentionally funny, but. Yeah, I mean, there's just this sense of like overall absurdity, especially when they get upset about little stuff like that. That you're just—it's almost like it's so awful that you just can't help but laugh.
1: Yeah, like uh, like Donald Trump will make anime real again. Like obviously, like like that's <laughs> yeah. like that's like, that's like a, a strand of it. But like, I
2: mean, well, and on. it's like, for example, so on the the Reddit subreddit that's called the Donald, which is not necessarily explicitly alt right, but is sort of part of the same kind of internet milieu. Um, they refer to Trump as God Emperor, which just like makes me laugh every time I see it. Like that's just something about it. Oh, and then they tag a lot of the posts either high energy or low energy. So like when that's something's actually... good, they call it high energy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's a reference to that's Trump. a reference to Trump calling. You know, he sort of branded Jeb Bush as low energy, which really stuck.
1: I, I think there's an an important distinction too to make with the sort of the internet-centric group there. Um, a lot of times that, that group, you know, who's really engaging in a lot of like the trolling and a lot of the memes, there's sort of this idea that they're just like merry pranksters and that this is sort of like, you know, that it's a lot of young people who don't necessarily have this really strict belief either way. They just want to like get a rise out of people and they're employing these tactics in this political movement that they know from the internet. But I think that there's something fascinating there, which is when you think about a little bit, you know, like a little bit of future casting, it's like... If you're a eighteen to twenty nine year old on the internet posting racist memes for, you know, months and months and months, like at what point does that sort of like hiding behind the idea of trolling just stop? And like when do you just when are you actually just this white nationalist or you know someone with you know beliefs that you can actually classify as bigotry?
2: Right. Like if the- you're saying racist stuff a lot, are you a racist? Right. Yeah. There's a way that can white
3: who who is a lawyer who deals a lot with who's dealt a lot with the alt-right. He's kind of framed it as I'll 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 give it like a cleaned up version. If you are having sex with goats, ironically <laughs> at, you're still having sex with goats. The, there's an element of that. I mean a, a lot of people largely attributed to the alt-right and sometimes people who are proudly the alt-right have sent people very colorful, specific, graphic, anti-Semitic memes, you know, to reporters and to writers and to different people in politics and so on and so forth. And whether they mean that ironically or not, that means that, you know, Jewish people who are on Twitter are getting anti-Semitic content sent to them all the time.
0: And I think it's also worth pointing out that one sort of tactic that the alt-right uses is to say, like... We're speaking out against politically correct culture, and you're just being too sensitive.
2: In a way, they're kind of like the vanguard of the culture wars. Like, they are willing to go much, much farther than anybody else in terms of what they're willing to say to people and about people. But it does sort of t- – it ties into the the feelings that, that Donald Trump has really brought to the fore – in terms of this issue of political correctness, I mean, like, when I go to Trump rallies and I talk to people, that is something that they bring up, which is that they're very upset that, you know, they're not allowed to, like, say certain things. They feel that they're not allowed to say certain things anymore. And I don't think that most of those nice people that I meet at Trump rallies would say the stuff that the alt-right says, but it comes out of sort of, like, a similar feeling of wanting to say the thing that's seen as being forbidden. Um, But most people obviously would not Uh, go on Twitter and send Jewish journalists memes of them being put in the gas chamber and stuff like that. So that's kind of where the line is drawn.
1: And I I think that Rosie's point about it sort of being the vanguard of the culture war is is a real reason why Twitter is kind of a battleground for this or or whatever you want to call it, a a place where conflict happens. Um, Because Twitter has really been an important place for... Uh, more diverse voices coming out, you know, uh, like Black Lives Matter and movements like that have really sort of you know latched on in a way that they haven't to Facebook, you know, in this way that you can sort of be anonymous and be protected and 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 broadcast in in real time. And then the alt right has has really emerged to their credit as someone as an equally you know loud engaging force, <laughs> obviously engaging in a much different way but i think it's really an interesting thing that it's come there and really i think sort of exemplifies this idea that there are sort of these two views of you know what the internet kind of should be and what the internet should do amplifying a diverse body of voices or you know taking it back and protecting what the internet kind of was when it you know in its earliest days which was you know a lot of white males who you know got into gaming culture and things like that
0: I want to take this back to Donald Trump for a minute, because his campaign is not about the alt-right, and it has never been. But are there ways in which it's becoming more closely tied to it? So I would say that in terms
2: of direct ties between the movement and Donald Trump, you know, the thing that obviously you would point out would be the hiring of Steve Bannon, who up until recently was the chairman of Breitbart News, to be the campaign CEO, um, and while Bannon, I don't think necessarily would describe himself as alt right. Breitbart has definitely been very sympathetic to the alt right, and also uh, Bannon has even said in an interview, I think it was with Mother Jones, that Breitbart was a platform for the alt right. And, and you know, and and now he's he's running Donald Trump's campaign. So yeah, I'm, I at this point you have to say that you know at the highest levels of the campaign, the campaign is certainly at least aware of the movement, and definitely doesn't outright reject it. But again, like I was saying earlier, I don't think that Trump himself has that much awareness of it.
0: But how could he not if he's on Twitter all the time? And like, how could how could you not know about it? For one
3: thing, Donald Trump follows like 90 people on Twitter. And also his mentions must be like out of control just in terms of the sheer volume (laughs) of it. (laughs) I can't even imagine. (laughs) There's like a really interesting
1: like sort of part of the Internet that. Like, has investigated into Donald Trump's r- true relationship to technology, and it is very unclear whether or not he has even like besides knowing how to open the Twitter app on his Android phone, that that could be it. It's poss- it's possible <laughs> that is it, like, to- like full stop.
0: But is there a way that the alt-right is feeding his campaign in terms of giving it support. I would not say that they are an important voting block for the Trump, like people
2: who actually would describe themselves as all right. I mean, it's a small number of people that we're talking about. But yeah, I mean, they're definitely very vocal supporters of Trump. Whether their support is actually helpful to him is another question.
0: Yeah. Is it possible that it's hurting him? Well,
2: you know, the public perception of Donald Trump as racist is pretty widespread. I mean, and that's been borne out in polling that one thing that a lot of voters associate with him is racism. So it certainly doesn't help when some open, you know, out and proud racists really throw their weight behind him in a very public and vocal way.
0: So Rosie, this year you went to the American Renaissance Conference, which is a white nationalist meeting. How did you end up there? And what did you find when you got there?
2: I was actually personally invited to go by Jared Taylor who runs American Renaissance which is like a publication/sort of white nationalist organization. Um, in his email he said something like there's been a lo- I know that you've been very interested in the so-called extremists who support Donald Trump so now you can come
0: talk to some of them. Was it bigger or smaller than your average Trump rally? Oh, well way
2: way smaller. I mean, Trump rallies attract thousands of people like regularly. So, um, and it took place in this basically national park in Tennessee that had kind of like a lodge set up slash conference center. And the reason why they have to do it there is because in the past they used to try to do it at private hotels, but private hotels are allowed to say, no, I don't want you here. Oh, no racist. But because of
0: the First Amendment, um, the government can't do that. Coming away from that conference after having covered the alt-right, what was your sense of the state of the movement right now? in the 2016, during the 2016 campaign?
2: Well, it was pretty interesting to see them all in person um, because I had only interacted with them either over the phone or online. And I think it was pretty interesting for them to see each other in person because a lot of them only knew each other from online. And so uh, in terms of the content of the conference itself, you know, a lot of it, frankly, was like any conference, like boring panels and speeches and stuff. But you could feel a sort of a sense of of energy among them because of Trump. It was a sort of half kind of like a younger crowd, half sort of an older crowd who'd been going to this conference for years. A lot of the people who were there were actually going for the first time this year, which I think kind of says something. Um, because, you know, the white nationalist movement in America up until the last couple of years had been this kind of like creaky old, you know, super obscure, like the Southern Poverty Law Center is the only thing that pays attention to them kind of thing. And the alt right has made it so, you know, it's like there's like a, there's like all these young, hip, you know, supposedly hip people kind of getting involved. And so that's, that's very exciting for a lot of them. I mean,
0: I don't know. I'm,
3: Meg, we all want young people to,
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised, I guess, that there has been a revival of white nationalism. It seems like such, like it seems like, It was a long time ago, the last time there was a group so overtly racist associated in any way with a major party presidential nominee.
2: It's not necessarily like a rebirth of a movement. There's always been white nationalists, but definitely, like, it's just fresh blood. There's more of a sense of, like, action, almost. Like, that there's really something going on instead of people writing these, like, articles that nobody pays attention to on like vdare.com and places like that.
3: Yeah, one of the frustrating things about the internet in general is it uh, in real life, you have the uh, ability to sort of like take the high road and like walk on by and and like have satisfaction out of that in a way that you just don't like there's no like no one gets to observe you on Twitter like taking the high road. So there's a lot more, like, confrontation and interaction. <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: yeah. and, and also there's there's a, you know, I think we kind of started this whole thing off by, you know, like, a major presidential candidate gave a speech acknowledging this group. And and there's sort of, you know, like the the old now sort of deeply cliche, don't feed the trolls adage is like, you know, the best thing you can do is ignore people who are, you know, trying to get a rise out of you in some way and, like. That has not happened on, in a really big way now. So, is that,
0: Do you think that's true in this case, that the best way to sort of starve out the alt-right is to ignore it?
1: I, I think that, that's, that that would be really, like, oversimplifying it. But I think that there is, you know, because there's that element there, you know, there's no way not to say that that getting mentioned in a big speech like that, being the focus of a speech like that, is not a, a recognition win, It was huge for them. It was huge for them. Hillary Clinton is trying to tie Trump to the so-called alt-right. Propelling the term alt-right into the national spotlight. A term that before the last
0: couple of weeks, most Americans had never even heard of. Do you think that you could, at this point, like, live your whole life and never know what the alt-right is? Or has it crossed this line from Internet culture into mainstream culture in ways that are influential somehow?
1: I think it depends on how they choose to sort of unify or, you know, the the tack that they take. I think that there's going to be, I think there is sort of a growing fatigue with a particular brand of trolling that is just, you know, just copying and pasting these, these racist memes on Twitter. And I think that people will, you know, I mean, Twitter, who knows how toxic that company, you know, allows it to get and where they'll go from there. But I think... I think because they are very good at harnessing certain skills of the Internet that have been around for a long time, it's not cut and dry whether or not they would go away with it. With- they're yeah. they're well, too also, good at
0: making things go viral. Also,
2: like, it's not just, you know, Internet aside, like these beliefs aren't necessarily going away after November, no matter what happens in the election. They, I, you know, and they they don't see themselves as just being... A byproduct of Donald Trump's rise in politics, they see themselves as a movement that is sort of like benefiting from Donald Trump and that likes him a lot, but isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily rise and fall with him. I do think that uh, we are not going to be talking about them as much after, like, if Trump loses. I don't think we'll be talking about the All Right as much because they're not going to have something that's sort of mainstream to hitch their wagon to anymore after that point.
3: I think probably is a narrow but lasting thing, or at least for the the short to midterm. I I think there are a lot of changes going on in this country in general. and, And one of them is just very narrowly in one example, the way we treat rape allegations has changed dramatically in the last 10 years. That's just like a one, like, you know, like the way we covered Criminal justice has changed dramatically in ten years. Like there is just a period of massive change in the way that we talk about certain things.
0: I think that's a good point that you make that the things that the alt right opposes aren't going away. Those things aren't going to change. We're not going to become less inclusive of women and people of color. And so there will always be something to be in opposition to.
1: They're a counterculture. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and that, you know, People absorb, like you said, people absorb that, and it reflects, you know, out in different ways. So, yeah, I I, I totally agree with that.
0: So, this new kind of white nationalism, the alt right, has been growing since 2010, but it really has bubbled up into the mainstream culture for the first time through Trump's candidacy. Do we know anything about whether or not this is a one-time fluke, or might this happen again in another candidate?
2: Well, I don't think we know the answer to that question. I think that whether or not this movement still exists per se as the alt right calling itself that in the future, you know, we can't definitively say that. I, you know, the beliefs that they hold aren't going to go away. I think like there's still going to be people who believe in this, and it's totally possible that there would be sort of like Trumpist style candidates in the future that they that they're able to kind of get on board with.
1: My my main feeling talking about all this and 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 looking at it every day from varying distances is just how it's hard not to feel as a as a close observer of any any of this either side of it that there's not this increasing feeling of toxicity on the internet and and that is something that i think is very interesting and possibly a little disturbing to to project forward and 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 we don't know but there is sort of this i think if this like if people have aged many years if you have been following this election on twitter (laughs) more so than like and i think a lot of people thought in 2012 that it was like like it was you know the you know the pedal was on the floor and this is like orders of magnitude different
3: oh yeah i saw i was looking for something the other night and i saw by accident, I found an email that I had sent in December 2014. I was like, 2015, it's going to be a great year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no One Knows Anything is produced by me, Meg Kramer. With editorial oversight from Catherine Miller and Eleanor Kagan, and production help from Julia Furlong. Our music is composed by Beauty Pill. Subscribe to No One Knows Anything on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter, we're at No One Knows, or you can email us at No One Knows at BuzzFeed.com. And we'll be back soon with more things we don't know.